My friends, no story ever written for the screen is as dramatic as the story of the screen itself. This is the History of Film, Episode 16A, Florence Lawrence. Hello and welcome back to the History of Film. While many specific people and movies will get all of their deserved coverage in the main episodes of the History of Film, others won't. And that's a shame because plenty of less widely talked about filmmakers, actors, and movies provide essential context for understanding film history. Mary Pickford and Buster Keaton, for example, will definitely get whole episodes of the show, while someone like Carol Lombard may not, even though her contributions to cinema deserve to be examined just as much. Obviously, I won't be able to make bonus episodes for everyone that deserves one, but I want to try and use them to make a fuller picture of film history than you can sometimes get when learning about cinema's grand march through the 20th and 21st centuries. Today, that means expanding the life story of Florence Lawrence. Also, just to let you know at the very beginning, Florence Lawrence's story ends in a suicide and is very sad. I try to keep the tone of these shows chipper, but this one doesn't end on a happy note. The woman who would become Florence Lawrence was born Florence Annie Bridgewood on the 2nd of January, 1886 in Ontario, Canada. Performing was in her blood and was actually how she got her name. Her mother, Charlotte Bridgewood, was a vaudeville actress who performed under the stage name Charlotte Lawrence. While only a toddler, Florence joined her mother on stage, and so took her mother's stage name. The mother-daughter act must have been quite the sight. Young Florence would wander out on stage as her mother was performing, and while the audience was confused, she would join her mother in matching dance steps. Even at such a young age, it was clear to everyone, even Florence, that performing would be her future. In 1906, at the age of 20 or 21, Lawrence began her career in the movies. She joined the cast of a Vitagraph production called Daniel Boone as one of the titular character's daughters. Conditions on the shoot left much to be desired. The location shots required specific lighting, and Lawrence and the rest of the cast would have to wait for hours in zero-degree Fahrenheit temperatures. They had a bonfire burning the entire time, but that wouldn't help when they were rehearsing or performing in front of the camera. Despite the absolutely inhumane weather and Lawrence's own eventual misgivings about her performance, she'd found her calling. Screen acting would be the focus of her career. Seeking to improve her screen acting skills, Lawrence made a study of motion picture actors, learning what she could by watching as many movies as she could get to. She also made movies for Vitagraph at a furious pace, about 50 in 1908. It was here that she met and married another Vitagraph actor, Harry Salter. This proved to be advantageous to Lawrence, because as it turns out, her new husband had connections with D.W. Griffith. She and her husband moved from Vitagraph to Biograph to work with the new director. Working at Biograph, Lawrence did some amazing acting, and you can see it. If you have a chance, visit the show's website and watch her perform in the 1908 short The Taming of the Shrew, in which Lawrence plays Catherine. She is fabulous and stands out in the movie because of the sheer quality of her performance. She performs anger and violence with convincing body movements and says everything she needs to say using only her face, which is expressive and entertaining to watch. 
it's easy to see why she became an audience favorite. Her fame continued to increase as she starred in the Griffith-directed Mr. Jones comedy shorts, in which Lawrence would play the female lead of Mrs. Jones. I've only been able to find a couple of the Mr. Jones shorts, but from what I saw, they were funny. The plot center around high society couple Mr. and Mrs. Jones as he gets into trouble and she either gets mad at him or tries to help him out of it. The films exhibit really excellent continuity and parallel editing, and just like before, Lawrence's excellent physicality and expressiveness make her scenes in particular feel more natural and fun to watch. It was also at this time that she became well-known to audiences across the U.S. as the anonymous Biograph Girl, and even with the hindrance of anonymity, she began to use her popularity to her advantage. Lawrence was able to demand twice the usual wages for her performances, and had her own makeup table in an era where actors would have to sit by bonfires to avoid freezing during a shoot. Eventually, creative differences and hard feelings grew between Lawrence, D.W. Griffith, and Biograph, and when Lawrence's husband offered their work to other production companies, Biograph fired them both. It was at this time that Carl Lemley signed Lawrence to work for IMP, printed his famous ads, and christened Lawrence the Imp Girl. Lawrence used her star power to her advantage, forming her own studio in 1912 before selling it to Lemley in 1913. During this period, she made $500 a week, an impressive sum with the equivalent buying power of over $13,000 in 2021. Lawrence was passionate about cars and invented the turn signal and the brake light, as reported in a newspaper in 1914. Unfortunately, Lawrence didn't properly patent these inventions, and never received any credit or money for them. Also unfortunately, 1914 is the year when Lawrence's amazing film success begins to change for the worse. Injured while doing extreme physical labor multiple times on camera, Lawrence was eventually forced to take more than a year off from acting. When she returned to the screen in 1916, she was no longer a star. Needing several operations and no longer pulling in the money she used to, she threatened Carl Lemley with a lawsuit, but to no avail. The former film star was completely broke. Desperate for a starring role and believing that her looks were the barrier that prevented her from getting one, Lawrence had 16 nose operations. Still, nothing came, despite all of her attempted comebacks. She was involved in business ventures and performed in vaudeville, but her heart was still in the movies. She worked as an extra wherever and whenever she could find a job. Lawrence's personal life was also fraught with extreme difficulty. While seeking a divorce from her first husband, he would die of a stroke. She would marry and divorce two more times, with her last husband being extremely physically abusive. In the late 1930s, she was diagnosed with a bone disease that caused anemia and depression. Lawrence committed suicide in 1938, poisoning herself and leaving a note for her housemates. She was buried in an unmarked grave, though there is a headstone there today. Florence Lawrence didn't deserve her tragic ending. Nobody does. Her life is a reminder that throughout film history, the lights of the movie studios cast extremely painful shadows. The film industry is built on dreams, disappointments, and the very real pain of very many people. 
We should never forget it. Florence Lawrence is one of the many people consumed and forgotten by the industry that she helped build. It isn't always so, but it is far too often. Hi, no ending music this time because suicide is serious and I don't want to minimize the gravity of Florence Lawrence's death by putting fun ragtime piano music behind it. If you or a loved one are having suicidal thoughts, there is help available to you right now. In the description of the podcast episode, I have the information for the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, a resource to help people in crisis in the United States. These kinds of resources are available in other countries as well and are only a click or a call away. Carla Valderrama's book, This Was Hollywood, and Kelly Brown's article on Florence Lawrence for Columbia University's Women Film Pioneers Project were amazingly helpful resources for writing this episode, and I recommend you check them both out. If you want to contact me, you can email me at historyoffilmpodcast at gmail.com, and you can visit the show's website, historyoffilmpodcast.com, to view resources for each of the episodes. If you want to help support the show, there are two really easy ways to do that. The first is to tell your friends about it, and the second is to leave a review wherever you listen. Thank you for listening, and join me next week for another exciting episode of the History of Film.